Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you need for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. At the theater, more than the movies come to life, movie lovers march in and skip the line with digital tickets to the latest movies on the free Fandango app. Ready to grab some snacks. Pick me! And head to the best seats in the house for a night of romance, terror, and quality family screen time. (laughs) Visit Fandango.com or download the app today for your ticket to the movies. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast. And you know, many weeks, we have a nice, quiet, uh, easygoing podcast with no real controversy, no real big news uh, to go over. But in the last couple of hours, as we record this on Tuesday evening, October 18, while an NFL meeting is still going on, and I was at this meeting for six or seven hours today, But while this meeting is still going on, uh, there has been tremendous news today. We're going to go over that news of Jim Irsay, the owner of the Indianapolis Colts, breaking ranks and saying that uh, I believe there's merit, those are his exact words, to removing Dan Snyder uh, as owner of the Washington Commanders. So we're going to get to that. We're going to have a discussion about that. But I want to run through everything on this podcast because it is sort of jam-packed. First of all, I have Miles Miles Sanders. I wish I I were Miles Sanders. I got this great running back. (laughs) Philadelphia Eagles. Now I got Miles Simmons, my partner in crime every (laughs) year. (laughs) You know what? I bet you would love to change places with Miles. Wouldn't you? That'd be fun. I'd be six and zero right now. That'd be awesome. I'd love to be Miles Sanders. I'd make a lot more money too. <laughs> you would be six and zero, and you would have a big payday in your future. Yeah, no because doubt. That guy might lead the NFL in rushing this year. So yeah. anyway, but anyway, we are going to talk about the events of the week uh, with my friend Miles Simmons, and let's just get to a few of the events that we are going to be discussing. Here in the first section of the podcast, we are going to have a discussion uh, about the Buffalo Bills. I was at the game in Kansas City on Sunday. What makes them, in my opinion, uh, without question the best team in football right now entering the last 11 games of the season? But then we are going to have a guest in mid-podcast, Seth Wickersham one of the three authors of the bombshell ESPN report last Thursday that Daniel Snyder and the Washington commanders in about 16 different ways has denied uh, or have denied, but we're going to have Seth Wickersham on to discuss it. But also in the second part of our podcast, 
we are going to get into, and I'm really, really excited because we have not talked about this, but I'm excited to hear uh, what Miles Simmons has to say about the Monday night game, which was kind of a wild, it was a boring yet wild and woolly Monday night game at SoFi Stadium. Miles was in the house. He's going to give us a really good report, and I don't even know what it is yet, but I know that he's got some good stuff from that game. We're going to get into that. We are going get in going to get into the Giants and Jets, who are now nine and three, uh, and they've got one vital thing in common. Um, I'm going to tell you about a fun factoid. You want to know what that fun factoid is? Always. Daniel Jones, if the playoffs started today, would be the quarterback of a five seed. Zach Wilson would be the quarterback of a six seed. Aaron Rodgers would be the quarterback of a seven seed. What is wrong with this picture? <laughs> <A lot. laughs> um, we'll talk about Bill Belichick being in the midst of getting the last laugh on everyone, which he's made a career of. Uh, Miami appears to be in free fall on a three-game losing streak. And probably the most important single player in the NFL this week is Tua Tonga-Valoa, who had better hit the ground running coming up for Miami, or they might not only be in free fall, they might miss the playoffs. I don't think that's going to happen, but we'll see. We're going to talk about why Steve Wilkes, and, and again, I don't mean to be crass about this, but why he's totally screwed. As he as he tries to get his head coaching career back on track. Then we're going to talk very briefly about why. I mean, the Rams might be lucky to finish over 500. I mean, they were just lucky to have Carolina the other day. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're going to talk about why is the football world overlooking the five and one Minnesota Vikings? And I'm going to talk about the NFL's best player who gets the least amount of love. And I'll give you a hint. He plays in Western New York. So, Miles, let's get into the news of the day. I was at the NFL meetings at the Conrad Hotel in Lower Manhattan. And at about 4.30 or so, uh, Indianapolis Colts owner Jim Ursay stepped to uh, stepped in front of reporters to understand this at the NFL meetings owners have to walk by the area where uh, the press is located but they don't have to stop and many of them just wave say hello and they just keep walking they ignore the shouted questions and they just keep walking Jimmer say stopped And Albert Breer, among others, noticed right away what was so interesting about this. He stopped, and there was an NFL PR guy standing right next to him. And you just got the feeling that the longer he spoke, you know, there were those inside the NFL who were saying, you go, Jim Ursay. Because he basically, uh, he attacked the ownership of Daniel Snyder with the Washington Commanders. He said, and let me read you the two quotes that I think are most expressive of his feelings. I believe that there's merit to remove him as owner. I think it's something that we have to review. We have to look at all the evidence and we have to be thorough. 
but I think it's something we need to give serious consideration to. Okay. Then later on in his conversation, he said, I just believe in the workplace today, the standard that the shield stands for in the NFL, you have to stand for that and you have to protect that. Once owners talk amongst each other, they'll arrive to the right decision. And end quote. And clearly, Jimmy Ursay wants 23 of his fellow owners to join him in trying to oust Daniel Snyder as the owner of the franchise that when I got into covering the NFL in the 80s and in the early 90s mm -hmm. was my favorite place in the world to go cover a game. Do you know why? Because when it got tight in the game, it got to be third quarter, fourth quarter, it was a close game. The stadium shook. You'd be in the press box and you had to like hold on to the table in front of you. And it mattered so yeah. much. And now you look at it. You know, the Washington commanders are happy when they have a big crowd, even if the big crowd is two thirds from the other team. Mm -hmm. Daniel Snyder has degraded this franchise and he has ruined the football experience for millions dare i say millions of fans of this franchise yet selfishly he holds on to this team but miles your thoughts on what we heard from jim ursay today well i i think the one other really important thing that he said when he was asked if he thought that there would be 24 votes to remove Daniel Snyder, he said, yes, I potentially think there will be. So it's not just him going out kind of on a limb and maybe speaking out of turn. I think that this is something that was pretty calculated. And even if Roger Goodell, you know, says that speculation is not helpful or whatever, as he was doing in his press conference, th this is not something that is light, right? To, to have one owner really directly attack the ownership of another NFL franchise is extremely significant. And yeah. we haven't seen that. I mean, despite all of the things that have happened, despite all of the reporting that's been done, despite the Beth Wilkinson investigation that came out, right? And we had the little mini report and Dan Snyder got fined a bunch of money and he was kind of suspended, but not actually suspended, but he was not really dealing with the team. But now everything of that nature is over and he's back. So of all of those things, right? We never heard an owner on the record speak out directly against the ownership of Dan Snyder. To me, the fact that Jim Ursay got in front of the cameras, got in front of all the reporters and said everything that he said today is really, really, really significant. And I think that it just sort of starts this kind of ticking clock and perhaps it's a, maybe a sense of inevitability. And I know Dan Snyder is going to not let go of that franchise as long as he possibly can. He has proven that, right? But if the owners are going to back what Jim Irsay has said, and there are enough of them, then there's an inevitability here of what the outcome is going to be. It, it's more a matter of when and not if. And that's kind of the sense I get based on what Jim Irsay was saying today. So, Miles, in the intervening time since he spoke, I've got three little nuggets to report. Number one, 
Daniel Snyder and the Washington Commanders issued a statement, and the statement denied what Jim Ursay said, said it's unfortunate that Mr. Ursay decided to go public with his statements today while an investigation is in progress, and the team has had no opportunity to formally respond to allegations. Okay, there's one point. Sure. In the same statement, the franchise said something that I am so sick of hearing. Here was, it was a five sentence statement. One I of the sentences same thing in the I statement hate. was, the commanders have made remarkable progress over the last two years. Bingo. Okay. All right. First of all, the commanders stink. They stink. They're a lousy football team. That is what they're in business for. They have not made remarkable progress as a football team. Have they hired a bunch of people who seemingly are better people than the ones who have been uh, either dismissed or found to have been uh, found guilty or uh, guilty is the wrong word, found to have sexually harassed other employees, people in the media, all that? Yes. So what? Let's give them a silver dollar and let's give them a medal for hiring people who aren't creeps, okay? I mean, it's just, you know, the commanders have made re remarkable progress over the past two years. In what? In what? Hiring normal people and having a horse crap team? Just stop with that. Stop. Secondly, I, I didn't mean to get that excited, but- No, I, just, I thought it was great, time, Peter. No, 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 man, it was, it was great because yeah. look, I mean, it's like, oh, we want to say that the last two years have been X, Y, and Z. Well, what about all the stuff that you did in the however many years before? It's like all yeah. those things don't matter all of a sudden because, oh, well, look what we've done in the last two years. Look at the progress we've made. No, it's ridiculous. And it right. tries to erase everything that has not only been reported, but again, there was a concluded investigation that happened here that investigation was concluded a while ago and there was and you got fined 10 million dollars exactly after that investigation so right. let's not pretend that nothing happened and we swept all that out okay that's number one number two adam schefter has reported that daniel snyder has sent a letter to every owner in the nfl and the letter basically uh, vilified the ESPN report of last week, which Seth Wickersham is going to discuss in a few minutes right here on his podcast. But he vilified it, and uh, he, he claimed to the accusation that Snyder has asked his law firm to ask private investigators to look into owners and to look into Roger Goodell. This from the letter from Dan Snyder to his owners. Quote, that is patently false and intended to erode the trust and goodwill between owners that I take quite seriously. I have never hired any private investigator to look into any owner or the commissioners, period, end quote. That's number two. But I want to talk about number three. So uh, after I left the meetings to come home to do this podcast, um, I sent a few texts out. And uh, one a very high-ranking club official called me back about 20 minutes before we started recording this podcast. <clears throat> and I said, what do you make of what Ursay did today? And he said, hey, you know, 
the thing I don't like is that I think this kind of stuff at such an incendiary time should remain in-house, okay? But, you know, tensions are running high. And, uh, you know, he, he the two other things he said were, number one, he's the crazy uncle saying the crazy stuff, you know? And, and, and look, everybody likes Jim Irsay because he's not going to, if, if he does not want to talk to the press, you won't find him. Right. If he does want to talk to the press, he's going to say absolutely unequivocally what's on his mind. Yeah. That's Carson Wentz. Yeah, of course. Of course he did it with Carson Wentz. And there's one other thing. He said, this person, this high-ranking club official, been in the league for a long time, said to me, you know, Jim Ursay might be the best messenger because he just doesn't care, or he might be the worst messenger because he just doesn't care. You know, and so I think those things are fairly important when you consider what Jim Ursay said. And in fact, I totally applaud what he said. And it isn't that I'm demeaning or diminishing what he said. I just wanted to tell you yeah. what a very respected, prominent voice uh, in NFL team administration told me. And I, I think all, the, all of those things make sense. You know, you, you do. You want to keep things in the family. You want to keep things in-house. And you want to be able to handle them and then have a plan to address everything. And so uh, from that standpoint, I totally understand why a high-ranking club official would want to address it that way. However, I think that Jim Irsay was right to say what he said. And I applaud him just like you. And we've been dealing with different stories that have been extremely well reported. And we're not talking about know uh a little timmy in his mom's basement over here right when we're talking about the things that have been reported about washington the commanders and whatever yeah. former team names that they have had we're talking about espn right we're talking about the new york times the washington post there are all kinds of things that have been reported and again there was an investigation that concluded and dan snyder was fined 10 million dollars so it's <laughs> not like these things have just appeared out of thin air and right. oh my gosh i can't i can't believe that something like this is out. i've never heard anything like no 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 this has yeah. been going on for years and years and years and i think it was high time somebody who has the kind of a authority on the situation that Jim Irsay has said something about it like this. Yeah. I loved it too. I think it's really good. M Miles, I'm going to do a little change up. I'm going to go right to Seth Wickersham in Let's a moment. It. And then we will talk about the Buffalo Kansas city game on the other side. Now we are committed right now that the other side is going to be 15 minutes. So I will be disciplined. You don't have to be disciplined because you're always brief. I am the wordy one. But anyway, I do want to just say one other thing about this particular story. I have been operating under the, uh, under the thought that the next shoe to drop, the most important shoe to drop, is the investigation by Mary Jo White. 
Yes. He was a former U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, a highly respected person in law enforcement in the United States. And the NFL has hired her to look into this uh, frat boys culture in Washington and particularly to look at uh, Dan Snyder's role in that. Um, ESPN's most important nugget that they ferreted out is that they have interviewed the woman who Dan Snyder paid a hush money payment to in 2009. And so that interests me about what is going to come out of that. And I'm fascinated to wait to hear what uh, what happens in this investigation. But so at the meetings today, when I was talking to people about this, I got a little bit of a different view than that is the most important thing. There's a lot of people in the NFL, Miles, who are really concerned with Congress's involvement in this story hmm. and the fact that Congress has taken testimony, you know, in this case and is very angry on the surface anyway about the Washington commanders and the culture in there and how they treated women, especially. Yeah. So, you know, as one person at the meetings this afternoon told me, you know, it's one thing for a league sponsored investigation to come up with dirt, whatever it is that Mary Jo White comes up with. Uh, although this person was very careful to say absolutely unequivocally, this is an honorable person who's yeah. going to report both sides. Yes. But his point was, when you get Congress involved and, and looking into this, this is what sort of puts the fear of God into some people in the NFL. So that hmm. is something that, that really interests me. Miles, I, I want to get to Seth Wickersham. You're going to enjoy his, his conversation um, that we had. I talked to Wickersham over the weekend and, um, uh, we did not discuss anything that happened today, obviously, because it hadn't happened yet. But I think this is going to be a little bit of a primer on what was in this story and also some of the accusations and some of the thoughts overall after reporting this story for a long time that Seth Wickersham had. So let's get to my conversation with ESPN.com senior writer Seth Wickersham. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Gold for the United States! Unbelievable! And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this! How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics, Friday, July 26th on NBC and Peacock. The Premier League is built on hope. The hope of discovering a new star. It doesn't take long, but Darwin Nunez to make an impression. The hope of rewriting history. And the hope of continuing a dynasty. Unstoppable week after week. This is the Premier League on NBC, USA and Peacock. There's no place like the movie theater. The smell of fresh popcorn welcomes you to a full body experience while candies and sodas compete for your attention. Pick me! Pick me! 
hoping to join you in the best seats you've reserved on Fandango. It's where movie lovers buy tickets, pick seats, and double up on rewards points all online. All that's left is to walk in, snack up, and sit back. Visit Fandango.com or download the app today for your ticket to the movies. Happy to be joined by Seth Wickersham of ESPN, ESPN.com. He combined with Don Van Natta Jr. and Tisha Thompson to write a story that uh, I think really advances the ball way down the field on the Dan Snyder story in Washington. And that's why I wanted to have him on uh, to discuss this. And, And Seth, first of all, thanks. And secondly, I think... One of the things that comes through in your story is the the overriding um, the overriding point that Daniel Snyder believes that the NFL really can't touch him mm-hmm. and feels like even though he knows that he's on the outs with so many people in the NFL, including the commissioner, including powerful owners, he believes he's got enough juice to prevent them from forcing him to sell the team. Is that fair? Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Yeah. I mean, what Don and Tish and I were trying to do with this story is answer a question as best we could as to why he's still the owner. I think people look at Dan Snyder, whether they're even owners, but especially fans, readers look at, and they're like, how can this guy still be owning the team? And we wanted to try to answer that as thoroughly and completely as we possibly could. And what you took away there is absolutely right. Like there's a very senior executive who said, was kind of half joking, but he said, Dan's the most powerful owner in the NFL (laughs) because nobody will move on him. And although it was a joke, there was a little bit of truth in that. And um, you have people you know, people who are very angry with him at the moment because he has bragged over the years, the things that he's seen, the things that he knows, talking about putting private eyes on other owners and even Roger Goodell that people knew about. Like there's one owner I reached out to and asked about this. Are you aware that Dan has said that he's put private investigators on owners? This owner is like, yes. And I was like, well, what was your reaction? And he was, well, I wasn't surprised. <laughs> I mean, that's how low it is. That's how low it's gotten for Dan right now. But, and to be honest, and to be fair to Dan, who denies that he's put private eyes on anybody via his law firms, he might be telling the truth. This might be a bluff. He might be kind of a scare tactic, but that's where we are right now with Dan Snyder. Isn't it amazing that it has come to this point that, you know, <laughs> hey, when I when I broke into sports writing and covering the NFL, my second job was covering the New York Giants. When I covered a game at RFK Stadium in Washington with an NFC East game or a playoff game, the press box shook every game. It was it was the height of greatness. It was the height of great moments in Washington franchise history. And in the span of a little over 20 years, Daniel Snyder has burned it all to the ground. And I just, I'm befuddled. I want you to tell me 
the answer to this sort of plaintive wail I have about this franchise. And, you know, what I what I keep saying is what if if you know that everybody in an organization hates your guts and wants you out, and if you knew that there are probably 10, 12, 15 million people who love your franchise, or, or who should I say, at the very least, loved your franchise until you started really screwing it up. I'm just curious. Why do you think he wouldn't say, you know what? I'm not wanted here. People hate me. Uh, I'm just going to do the right thing and I'm going to get rid of the team. Why doesn't he do that? I think that he doesn't mind that he's hated and in a sick way, probably kind of likes it. But I agree with you. I think one of the major turning points for me as a journalist, because I've been thinking about a Dan Snyder story for a while and sort of poking around. And I thought for a while, it was going to be kind of this really fascinating story about a guy who could go from being investigated by testifying on Capitol Hill in theory to Congress and have all these attorneys generals investigating him and the league and all these things go from those meetings to meeting with either the governor of Virginia or the governor of Maryland or the mayor of Washington, D.C. and get wooed and told how much public money those entities and those states were willing to spend to give him a new stadium because they wanted that so badly. And in February and March, when that really took a downturn, he had the three most powerful politicians in Virginia lined up ready to approve a bill for a stadium authority. When that turned, that's when I think for me, my repertorial antenna went up because that stadium was his salvation with owners. They can overlook- You mean, you mean what you mean, Seth, is that uh, they soured on Snyder. Exactly. And they were no longer willing to throw millions of dollars at him. That's when I knew that the patience was going to start running thin because Dan knows and owners know that a new stadium is his ticket to try to keep that franchise. And now he is stuck. And as we reported in the story, you know, owners are even figuring out creative ways to try to exploit that against him as a way to try to force a sale or even force the team to permanent ownership into his wife, Tanya's hands. I, I also wonder, look, I've got 900 questions, but there's three important ones, and this is one of them. And it's not in the order I wanted to ask, but you just brought it up. Why would anyone think that if Tanya Snyder owned this team, that Daniel Snyder wouldn't be the holder of the marionette strings right over her head? It's a great question, and it's one that I pose to owners and to executives, and nobody had a great answer other than if they can't force a sale and if Dan won't sell the team, because I do believe that he wants his kids to own the team one day, that um, what do you do? <laughs> like, I don't think the owners want to have a vote to just throw him out. They really don't like to do that stuff. Like, as you know from being around the league, Owners are interesting, right? They're their own breed. They're there for a combination of reasons. Either they inherited their the, the, the fortune, they spent money on a team and they had made their fortune elsewhere, whatever it might be. But we all look at them like they're these huge independent thinkers and kings of their kingdom. 
but really in owners meetings, like you don't see very many tight votes, <laughs> like almost every vote yeah. is like 31 to one. You don't see very many, you know, 17 to 15 votes. They tend, like group think tends to prevail in those meetings and they just don't want to have a vote where they're not sure that they're going to get to 24 votes to throw him out because then Snyder will know everyone who voted against him. <laughs> um, so how would things change with Tanya? They like Tanya more, even though Tanya has kind of amused them at times and kind of irritated them last October in New York when she read an apology to them over her phone and didn't look at them when she was actually reading the apology and it came off as very insincere, um, they like her better. And I think that Tanya has liked being the face of the team since July, 2021. She likes going to those meetings. She likes being a voice that's heard. And I think they look at it like, hey, if we have to deal with this and we really don't have a mechanism to get him out, we'd rather deal with her, even if we still have to deal with some of Dan's drama. I don't know if that helps him, though, and helps the franchise with the fan base. That's the main thing. I don't think that it helps them get a new stadium if Tanya's running the team. I don't understand how on God's green earth he's going to get a lot of public money to build the stadium. Yeah. Because even if, you know, for those who are not, you know, who don't granularly, that's not even a word, who don't know all the granular details yeah. of this story, one of them is that the NFL has uh, an investigation right now into the culture of the Washington franchise led by Mary Jo White, who basically is their chief investigator slash bulldog into cases like this. Who knows what is going to come out? But even if it somewhat exonerates Dan Snyder, it's still going to be ugly because there's a lot of ugliness in this story. So I don't know the end game that would have Daniel Snyder be able to get friendly enough with Governor Hogan of Maryland or uh, whoever the governor is in Virginia, it slips my mind, it, you know, or the mayor of Washington, D.C., to be able to make a deal to get a lot of public money. It, I mean, there's just too much more bad news on the horizon. Not just that, but... Let's unpack that for a second, because there's a lot of really interesting points in there that I think are incredibly vital. Number one, before Mary Jo White did an investigation, Beth Wilkinson did an investigation. It was commissioned to be delivered as a report. And it, but the team and the league office had struck a deal where they got to essentially vet it before she even presented it. She didn't even, so it essentially gave Dan Snyder veto power over anything he didn't like that was in it. She didn't end up presenting a written, she didn't end up finishing a written report. She presented it to a small group of people using notes. <laughs> and that report has never seen the light of day. And in DC, if they had, if he had released the report, they would have been willing to listen to him using some of that land over by the old RFK, which would be the perfect site for a new Washington stadium to build there, he refused to release the report. Mary Jo White's investigation has been going on nine months now. I don't know when she's gonna finish it. We do have on our story that she did interview the former team employee who accused Dan Snyder of sexual assault in 2009 and to whom he gave a $1.6 million um, settlement. Um, now he denies 
that he assaulted her and he said that he wrote the check because it was easier and more efficient and cheaper than a drawn out thing. But she interviewed her and owners have long wondered if what happened there got out, if that might be it for Dan. But I haven't heard this. I don't know if you have. I don't know for sure that the Mary Jo White investigation is going to be public. <laughs> and to me, I don't understand how the league can have it be where two investigations into one owner could both be buried. Say that again. I want I because I, I want to follow up on it, but I want to make sure I heard you exactly right. I don't know how the league can have two invest can can commission two investigations yeah. into one owner and have both of them buried and not public. Uh, I agree. I mean, look, I think you have to look at precedent in this case, and the precedent of a lot of the investigations, the very big investigations, are that we were able to read either the entire investigation or a lot of very prominent bullet points in the investigations. And uh, it's, it, it's a, uh, it, it, you know, Roger Goodell has gotten away with continually saying that we promised uh, the, uh, you know, we promised a lot of the people who we interviewed uh, in the first investigation anonymity. And so we can't come out now and, uh, and actually say what they told us. But you know and I know that that's a bunch of crap <laughs> because you could clearly say Jane Doe 1, 2, 3, all the way up to Jane Doe 40 or whatever. Call them whatever you want. And, and obviously you've still honored uh, their request for privacy. And plus, you have so many of the women involved who want this thing to come out. And so, look, I... I the reason why you're good at your job and the reason why this story, I think, is so interesting and so compelling is that it's kind of, it puts meat on the bone to what everybody has thought. That Daniel Snyder has something on people in the NFL. Whoever they are, I don't know. Does he have it? I don't know. Is he bluffing? I don't know. But there's got to be a reason why so much of this stuff has been private when it absolutely should not have been private. I completely agree with you. Uh, you and I were together last year in New York City, last October during the league meetings, when some of the former employees came to the meeting and stood in the lobby and tried to demand that the league invest, you know, release the Wilkinson report. And um, I think that Roger Goodell is an interesting character in this because he has been loath to bring up Dan, even in privileged sessions, and for your listeners, pr the privileged sessions are the owners only sessions. No staff is allowed in those sessions. This is where they discuss the most confidential things that they can with the group. And um, Roger doesn't bring it up. He doesn't bring up Dan. One owner told us he looks like he doesn't want to touch this thing. And yet we've also heard from people that Roger wants Dan gone, and he wants this off of his plate. You heard Al Michaels say on the telecast during the Thursday night game that it was his feeling, which we know is informed, that the league would just like it if Dan Snyder would sell the team. They just want to start over. And 
you know, I don't know how this thing ends other than I do think that in a year from now, I can't see a scenario where Dan Snyder is the face of the team. He has any say in that team in any way. Um, he may not even own it, but I don't quite know. I just think they have to act. And I think that when the Mary Jo White investigation is over, they will act. The owners will do something. What it is, I don't know. But of course, Dan is as defiant as ever. We think about him as weakened, but he's as defiant as ever. The team told us, his lawyers told us that he has no restrictions on him. He can resume day-to-day -day operations of the team if he wants. He can go to league meetings if he wants. He can do whatever he wants to. And Roger Goodell, as we know, since July of 21, where he kind of suspended Dan without using the word suspension. He's never used it. He always uses the word Dan stepped away. He was fined $10 million. Um, the league is operating under the same premise. He's an owner under active investigation, and there are limits on him. And we report in the story that Dan Snyder asked to attend the league meetings that will be coming up this week in New York, and Roger Goodell said no. Um, I want to take a left turn and ask you about something that I remember four years ago when it happened, when Daniel Snyder hired uh, a very well-respected uh, business guy from the league office named Brian LaFamina yeah. to run the business side of a faltering franchise yeah. in Washington. And Brian LaFamina, I forget, he lasted six or eight months. Yeah. And he got fired. And, you know, as you reported in the story that uh, that he was, and, and in your words, in the words of uh, this story, that LaFamina was, quote, alarmed by the club's cu cultural issues and tried to fix them, mm -hmm. end quote, uh, before he got fired. Did that to you, was that the first real alarm bell that this franchise was plummeting down a steep slope? Yeah, and I mean, a lot of that is based on his congressional testimony, which I think is really a fascinating read for anybody who wants to just pull it and read it. It's public. But um, yeah, so Brian LaFamina, well-respected league executive, and I believe that Dan Snyder hired him, offered him a job in the bathroom of the league office. I think that Dan was going to the bathroom, asked Brian to follow him, and he offered him a job either on the bath in the bathroom or on the way. Maybe that was a warning sign. <laughs> All those things you miss. But Brian at LaFamina ends up taking that job in Washington and is completely alarmed with what he has seen. And is completely alarmed with the way that the culture is being handled there. Not just the culture, but the way that culture is being handled. And a lot of the people who work there feel like they have nowhere to go to turn with some of these complaints that they have about the way that things are run. And he basically tried to focus on that. And I think Dan, who was, Brian said this in his congressional testimony, was, was jealous of Brian, how well-liked he was was so angry with him that he didn't focus on business stuff, sponsorships, sweet sales, 
advertising, tickets, those types of things, and instead try to focus on human resources, making people feel safe and comfortable at work, making it a positive work environment, that that was the reason why he fired him. And you know why he was ultimately fired is kind of immaterial. I think that Snyder could probably just pick something that he didn't like. But that was the impetus of it, is that Snyder was mad that La Femina was spending all his time trying to fix the culture and not work on revenue. Do you think now that where we are in this investigation uh, and whatever happens with Mary Jo White, is there a next step? Is there something that you think, regardless of what her report says, that uh, the owners and Roger Goodell are going to turn to next? I'd be curious what you've heard about this. My opinion is yes. My opinion is that the owners are waiting for the Mary Jo White report to come out. I think they anticipate, even though I haven't talked to anybody who has the, any idea what's going to be in it and when it's going to be done. But I think they anticipate that it's going to confirm a lot of the things that we already know and perhaps so add some more to it. And that they're going to use that as a justification to act on Dan. But what that actually looks like I don't know. We know that the league would probably just prefer him to sell the team and have a clean start with it, with the fan base. How practical that is, I don't know, especially with someone as litigious as Dan Snyder. Um, I don't know what that step is, but I, and I'd be curious what you think about it, but I do think that when the Mary Jo White report is released, the league and owners will have a pretty good idea of what they're going to do and how they're going to carry it out so that they do not have to deal with Dan Snyder anymore. You know, uh, after your story came out, I had a conversation with uh, a top uh, team executive uh, who knows this situation really quite well. And he said that the only way I think he can be forced out is with some sort of serious smoking gun. And I, he said, that's why I think it's all up to the Mary Jo White report. Um, that who knows, maybe there's a Robert Sarver uh, story lurking in this. You know, the Phoenix Suns owner who, mm. uh, you know, wasn't forced to sell, but he decided to sell uh, after the allegations against him were made public. Uh, and and I so that's kind of what I think right now, but I think the one the one thing that that really stood out in your story, and you're not gonna think that you're gonna think ah that's like the thirty fifth most important thing in this story, and that is that you know from the time he bought this franchise to now, they've reduced the seating capacity, about 26,000 seats. And for most of the very big games, most against rivals, there are more fans from the other team. We saw it a couple of weeks ago when Philadelphia came in and it was, a, it was an Eagles crowd. Mm -hmm. But it was so interesting that you basically have someone from the business side of the team saying essentially, hey, you know, we're we're selling the tickets. We're happy yeah. it's full, yeah. regardless of, of who the, uh, you know, who makes up the crowd in the stands. And I just thought to myself, 
this is such a losing attitude, mm -hmm. you know, that we're okay with selling the tickets, even if the people come in, have bright green on and all root for the Eagles. It's yeah. just, it's just so weird. I mean, how many different curves can Dan Snyder be graded on, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. and even the new stadium that he was talking about building, um, when they kind of made that announcement that he had purchased the option on some land in Virginia, kind of hoping that it would spur some action from the governments, and it didn't. Um, that was a that was a roofed fifty five thousand feet stadium. FedEx Field, I believe, could hold ninety. And even during Snyder's era, where they've had some good teams, they get a lot of fans at that stadium. To think that they were talking about this brand new stadium only at 55,000 seat capacity, even that I thought was kind of stunning. I do too. I think that's right. You know, I'll just end with this because I think it all comes down to how Roger Goodell handles this situation. And it was so interesting. And I thought it at the time and you wrote about it. You guys wrote about it. I found it so interesting that Snyder hid out on his yacht mm -hmm. instead of returning to Washington. Uh, and anybody who thinks he wasn't in Washington for, for some number of weeks or months and couldn't have shown up to testify is delusional, first yeah. of all. Um, and, and I think, secondly, the fact that Roger Goodell had to testify uh, while Daniel Snyder was in the words in this story dodging congress just had to absolutely burn him to the stake you know roger goodell very well that is not a patient person and he's also not someone who i think has mo much of a poker face for masking his irritation <laughs> yeah yeah and, i mean people that he spoke with and you know they I think Roger used some words that I can't quite use on this podcast to describe his irritation that not only he had to do it, but it just continues dragging on. When does right. this end with Dan Snyder? It goes back to what you said. I think that the Mary Jo White investigation, like unless somehow it flips the script and has receipts that anybody ever accused Dan Snyder of any sort of impropriety was making it all up. And even then, I'm not sure, but I think that the Mary Jo White investigation, whenever it comes out, there will be a plan in place, an action plan of what they're going to do with Dan. And your guess is as good as mine is what that'll be. But I think that they know that this has to end. This just cannot continue forever. Well, one of the reasons it has to end is that you've got I mean, and I mean, multiple millions of hardcore fans of this franchise who can't bring themselves to root for him right now because they want the owner to sell. It's almost like one of those, uh, one of the Premier League franchises, yeah. you know, that, that want out the Glazers so badly, Manchester United, they want the Glazers out so badly, they'll boycott this or boycott that. It just, it that is really what it has come down to. And I just, you know, as somebody who, you know, really appreciates the history of this game, uh, it's, you know, I hate it when people make selfish decisions only for themselves. Daniel Snyder is doing that. He doesn't deserve to own this team. 
And uh, the longer he owns it, the worse it'll be both for that franchise and for the league. But again, look, they need a smoking gun. And I hope for their sake, I really do, that they get something in this Mary Jo White report that will motivate Daniel Snyder to sell this team. I, I guess I'll just end with how likely is it that, you know, a year from now, he is either running this team or his family is still running this team. The likelihood that he's running the team in a year from now, I think is incredibly low. The likelihood that um, his family still owns it. I think it's 50, 50. I think that's probably a good, a good hedge on the bet right there. <laughs> Seth Wickersham. I really appreciate you taking the time and, uh, and, and basically parsing so much of this. Um, I strongly recommend it. It's, uh, it's on ESPN.com and it's long, but you'll learn a lot. And the headline is sources. Commander's boss Snyder claims dirt on NFL owners, comma, Goodell. Seth Wickersham, thanks for your time. My pleasure, man. Good to see you as always. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. The Premier League is built on hope. The hope of discovering a new star. It doesn't take long, but Darwin Nunez to make an impression. The hope of rewriting history. And the hope of continuing a dynasty. Unstoppable week after week. This is the Premier League on NBC, USA and Peacock. There's no place like the movie theater. The smell of fresh popcorn welcomes you to a full body experience while candies and sodas compete for your attention. Hoping to join you in the best seats you've reserved on Fandango. It's where movie lovers buy tickets, pick seats, and double up on rewards points all online. All that's left is to walk in, snack up, and sit back. Visit Fandango.com or download the app today for your ticket to the movies. So my thanks to Seth Wickersham for uh, his reporting, first of all, and for joining me and illuminating some of the stuff that obviously uh, has kind of taken over the sports world in the last few days. But I want to get to the other things that are happening in the league. You know, there's a lot of people here who, who listen to this. They don't give two craps about Daniel Snyder, and they want to hear about the rest of the league. So we are going to, in a very kind of orange juice concentrated section of this podcast, Okay, we're going to get to nine items and we are going to whip through them, but we're going to give you the information you need to know. Number one, the Buffalo Bills, the best team in football. And we didn't necessarily have to see it in Kansas City on Sunday, but I'm going to tell you the two reasons why Buffalo should be the, un and look, I have great admiration for the Eagles. 
They're six and oh, they're the only undefeated team. Buffalo's got a loss. So, you know, that's that counts. That counts. But I will just say two things. Number one, when the Buffalo Bills signed Von Miller as a free agent to a $120 million six-year contract, only about 40% of which is guaranteed, but still a lot of it is guaranteed for a guy who's 33 years old. Mm -hmm. I thought like everybody else, well, you know, the Bills just had to do this. They had to overpay Von Miller because if not, he was going back to the Rams. And that is absolutely unequivocally true. Yes. But they overpaid him. They paid what they had to do in a much different way. It's like Jimmy Haslam uh, paying Deshaun Watson a totally guaranteed contract. How are they going to get him? That's the only way. Right. So you think about it and you say, are we willing to do this? Yes. Uh, we don't love it, but we're willing to do it. And Von Miller wrecked the last three series of this football game, mm -hmm. you know, with a sack, with a pressure that led to the interception at the end of the game with 45 seconds to go or whatever, a minute to go. And also by chasing down uh, Patrick Mahomes from behind for only a three yard gain when Patrick Mahomes needed 13 or 14 yards. So Von Miller in one game is worth the money. And let me also tell you this. He's 33 years old. When I went to training camp, I was really concerned. Are they going to be able to keep him preserved for the year? Last year, he played 75% of the snaps in Denver and LA. This year, so far, 59% of the snaps. And it was only 52% before he played almost all of the game in Kansas City. And as Brandon Bean, the general manager of the Bills, told me in training camp, we got Von Miller to be our closer. That's what he's going to be in most games. In this game, it was different. This game might have allowed Buffalo to get a huge edge to get home field in the AFC playoffs. But there's one other thing. Miles, the best pass, the best play the most clutch play <clears throat> in the first first six games of this season all over the league is the play that Josh Allen made in throwing a touchdown pass to win the game to Dawson Knox hmm. and the more I have watched this play the more I realize what an amazing play it was and I'm just going to take you very quickly with this play basically there was a minute to go in the game Buffalo is behind and they need to score a touchdown. They don't want to go to overtime by kicking a field goal. They need to score a touchdown or they want to score a touchdown. No doubt. So Dawson Knox runs a corner route and he's in the end zone. He runs a corner route. Unfortunately for Knox, the safety who is covering him is on the inside part of him. Like he's not, on the boundary, he is toward the middle of the field. And so Patrick, Mo or not Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, you see him. He waves Knox right. to go inside. Right. And Knox isn't going inside. You know, he, 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 he wants to stay outside. And so there's one little confounding thing. But the other thing is, there is a safety between in the direct line of sight between Josh Allen and Dawson Knox.
I talked to Alan after the game and I just basically, we got into this conversation about how amazing I was, I, I amazed I was that he threw the ball first of all over a safety mm -hmm. and in tight coverage against another safety. Why would you pick that? Why ever would you pick that? So here's what he told me. He goes, I did see the safety underneath, but I knew I had to get the ball up a little higher. And those are the ones where, I mean, it's like millimeters of distance of space that you know you have to give when you release the ball. And so then, Miles, I'm standing with him. He's sitting on an equipment box outside the interview room waiting to go do his press conference. And he says to me, he goes, he goes like this. He goes, just millimeters. And as soon as I got up to the press box, I went back and I ran that play about 15 times. And I slowed it down. And I basically was able to see that he was right. I think it was maybe three inches. It was no more than three inches wow. that he threw it over the hands of this safety. And, you know, so in essence, the safety is a guy named Dion Bush. And in essence, he had to account for that safety and his reach right there. And they caught the ball, they win the game. Uh, and it's just pandemonium. And I just thought there are not many people who can make that throw. And I don't mean to be dramatic. There aren't many people who can make that throw in NFL history. It was a brilliant throw. It was a weird decision, quite honestly, to choose <laughs> Dawson Knox well covered, knowing that you had to kind of rainbow a little bit into him. But anyway, those are my thoughts about the Buffalo Kansas City game. It's it's interesting because those two teams, I think, are clearly the best two teams in football. And, you know, it. I don't mean that in, in a disrespectful way to Philadelphia either, but I feel like if you're going to choose any one of those three teams and they go against each other in a round robin or whatever, yeah. I, the, the Chiefs and the Bills may beat each other 50% of the time and it's just going to come down to whatever it comes down to at the end of the game. That's just, those two teams are just like that. It's a heavyweight fight. I kept seeing that on Twitter and I agree. But the Eagles, I feel like more often than not, would probably lose to either the Chiefs or the Bills. And that's just where they are right now. I don't necessarily think that that means that they're going to lose the Super Bowl if they happen to play one of those two teams in February. And yes, I'm getting way ahead of myself there. But at the same time, I just those two quarterbacks and what you just described. I mean, that's so elite. That's yeah. just, it, that, there's no other real word for it. I mean, you've got Josh Allen who could do it. I bet Patrick Mahomes could probably do it. But the list of players who could make that throw is very, 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 very short otherwise. So uh, it was it was a really fun game to watch. It was fun. Unlike the game that I was at. On <laughs> I'm going to get to, I want to make one just last point. <laughs> the, reason that, the reason that I right now today would rank Philadelphia you know, a millimeter or two ahead of Kansas City is because, you know what? Being at that game, watching that game, 
and just concentrating on that game. Usually I'm at home for Sunday on right. Sunday and I'm trying to keep an eye on a number of games. I watched every play, I recorded the game. I went back afterwards and watched a bunch of it. But but here's my point, Miles. Kansas City really, there was nothing easy for Kansas City against Buffalo. Mm. Everything was a chore mm. on offense for them, everything. And, you know, Mahomes is so great that even when it's a chore, he accomplishes it a lot. But But that's my point about this team right now. I love Kansas City. I might like Philadelphia a little bit better, but let's get to the Monday night game. I need your observations on the ridiculous mess that the Denver Broncos are in Uh, having this great defense. It's probably a top five defense in the NFL, having this great defense, having the most penalized team and having an offense that just simply can't get out of its way. You know, Peter, I mean, obviously you watched that whole game and it was almost 70 minutes and most of that was excruciating. But the <laughs> it one, was. It uh, was. One, the biggest takeaway that I got was actually from the press conference room after the game. So, you know, obviously after the, the game, you get press conferences and whatnot. And so a lot of times I'll go to the winning team because that's just, you know, you want to see, you want to hear what the victors have to say. But this was one of those where whether or not the Broncos won or lost, I wanted to hear what was going to come out of that yeah. locker room and yeah. come out of that press room. So I go and I sit and I listen to Nathaniel Hackett and he's trying to, he's trying, you know, yeah. and you could yeah. tell that it's, it's weighing on him and yeah. it's wearing on him. And I don't think anybody expected them to be two and four at this point, particularly not him, but Justin Simmons, one of their key defensive players, he's a safety and there is no relation by the way, but he comes in actually in the middle of Nathaniel Hackett's press conference. He stands back to the side and he watches the end of it. And right after Hackett comes out of the room, he goes up to the podium and he paused before several answers, sometimes in the middle of answers. And he talked about, needing to get things right and he did the kind of cliche thing that players talk about about you know doing it's the definition of insanity to do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result and he said leadership has to be better defensively offensively special team he was doing his best not to throw anybody under the bus even when he was asked you know how difficult is it when you guys get stops and then at the end of the game, the offense just isn't, it's not coming through. And he says, of course, it's frustrating, but, and I really respected this answer from him. He says, you know, we had positions, we had parts in that game where we could have put the offense in better position where, you know, either we get a turnover yeah. or we get a better stop or we get off the field. But the thing that really, really struck me was after he gets off the podium, he walks out of the room. Some of the reporters, the beat writers from Denver, looking around and they go, man, I have never seen Justin Simmons that frustrated. And I think that's Whoa. a huge issue because yeah. nobody, including the players, expected that Denver would be where it is right now, right? Where you just have this defense that Ajiro Evero, their defensive coordinator, he's doing a great job with that unit. The offense isn't putting up its end of the bargain. Scored 91 points across six games. I mean, that's 15 points. It's, it's really, really bad, Peter. And yep. I think that they have to do something quickly to solve this. Otherwise, there is going to be a rift that starts up in that right. locker room. Because you right. can't have a defense that's that good and an offense that's that bad. You just yeah. can't. Yeah, I agree. As I watched last night, 
the saddest thing, really the saddest thing is that you just, hey, look, on the one hand, the touchdown that Russell uh, Wilson threw to that young tight end in his first NFL game, yeah, I just am thinking to myself, okay, all right, here we go. Here we go. But as the game went on and it got more and more frustrating and Russell Wilson went, I think, five for 18 in the second half, whatever it was, he was just absolutely abysmal. As I kept thinking, I said, what's the one thing about that touchdown pass that uh, even though everybody got excited, what's the one? He, he was uncovered. Yep. He was uncovered. He was college. You over. and I could have. You and I could have thrown that touchdown pass under. You're not wrong. Underhanded. You're not wrong. Yeah, and that was what was really kind of to me sad about it. But I think what happens now, and obviously, uh, as we're waiting now for information, so I'm not going to spend much time on it. But Russell Wilson had an MRI in Denver today, Tuesday, on his uh, right hamstring which he strained during the game. And, you know, you can feel online when you hear people they cover the team or see people tweeting about this might be serious. And you just say to yourself, the one thing that Denver doesn't need is a stationary Russell Wilson. He needs mm -hmm. to run more. And now if the running is taken out, this is, I'm just saying this is a lost season for this team. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I would totally agree. And honestly, being in that room when he was asked about it, because it was sort of surprising when Nathaniel Hackett kind of threw it in there in his yeah. injury update. Oh, yeah. Russell Wilson has a hamstring. And then he never really addressed it again. And he wasn't asked about it. But whatever. Um, but when Russell Wilson was asked about it, he said, oh, yeah, you know, I got my hammy a little bit. And uh, yeah, you know, I was moving around well until that happened. And so that to me means it actually is a significant concern. Then you get Hackett talking about how it did affect their play calling um, when he was going over things on Tuesday. So I, I don't know exactly what it means, but when you've got Brett Rippon as your backup quarterback. Trouble. Uh-oh. All right, uh -oh. let's do let's do some quick hits on the rest of the league. Number one, the Giants and the Jets. I joked before that right now, uh, you know, the Giants would be the five seed in the NFC, and uh, the Jets would be the six seed in the AFC. And the craziest thing of all, I found myself thinking on Sunday night. I'm sitting in my hotel room in Kansas City, and I'm thinking to myself, nobody wants to play the Jets and the Giants. <laughs> How totally bizarre is it that in back-to-back -back week, back-to-back -back weeks, Aaron Rodgers loses to the Giants and the Jets. One of them decisively, you know. And so the more I think about this, the more I think, I think both teams are making the playoffs. And the reason I do is because of both of these defenses. And when you look at a defense, what do you want to see? You want to see a defense that pressures up front and can cover. And so <clears throat> I look at the New York Giants. They're the seventh stingiest team in scoring defense, 18.8 points a game. And that is compelling because their secondary has been racked by defections. They lose their best corner, Bradbury. They lose their their, uh, uh, you know, a safety they really needed to keep in Logan Ryan. I thought this was going to be a horrible year for their secondary. And yet they're playing pretty well in the secondary. 
They're allowing the eighth fewest passing yards in the league this year. So, and then you look at the Jets and you look at the Jets and there are three stats about the Jets that I love. Number one, fourth in the NFL in rushing yards per play at 3.9. They are extremely efficient against the pass. You know, and when you're allowing 6.3 yards per pass play, when the average in the NFL is right around 7.2, you know, that shows you that Sauce Gardner has been a gigantic influence on the secondary with this team. He's playing great. And then the third thing I would say is, I don't know Robert Sala well, okay? Mm -hmm. I only know him a little bit. But I think Robert Sala, with the veins popping out of his neck in week three, saying we're taking receipts. You know, we all thought, honestly, Miles, that was childish, almost. You know, it was just, it was just childish. You, you, of course, you're, you know, we're going to criticize you. You guys stink. And <laughs> yeah. he said, okay, maybe, like if he would have said it, maybe we have stunk. This team doesn't stink. And you know what? He's absolutely right. Quick impressions on Giants and Jets. Uh, it's New York time, baby. Start spreading the news, right? I mean, it, it's fun to see what the Giants are doing and what the Jets are doing. I, I did not expect the Giants to be able to beat the Baltimore Ravens when they got down by 10 points in the fourth quarter. And they we're not talking about the Ravens, but they got a real problem with blowing double digit leads. I would but say when you are the giants, yeah. And you take advantage of every single opportunity that you have. I love that. And I love the way that they're playing. And I love that Kayvon Thibodeau was in the middle of it at the end, helping force that turnover. And the one thing that I would really take away from that jets and Packers game is how they run the football offensively as well. And they had almost 180 rushing yards. You don't expect to see a team go up to Lambeau where it's cold and do that to that team in almost any era since I've been alive, basically. So I, I like where the Jets and Giants are going. I'll give you my one other stat and then we'll move on, which I find this one to be pretty damn compelling. Okay, the New York Giants last year, 99 rushing yards per game. The New York Giants this year, 163 rushing yards per game. Ooh, baby. Say, say no more. Um, I want one thought from you on Bill Belichick tying George Hallis, probably passing a Monday night playing the Bears with Bailey Zappi. Western Kentucky's gift to the National Football League, resuscitating lousy quarterback play at that position. They've been playing some real bad defenses the last couple of weeks. <laughs> okay, and I don't and I don't want to you know put Bailey Zappi down. You still have to be able to do it right, and and it's really kind of interesting that this whole Matt Patricia, Joe judge experiment is working. I mean, you don't expect the yeah. fourth round rookie to be able to come in there and throw for 300 yards, have a, a passer rating of over a hundred in consecutive starts win these games. Yes. Those, those defenses are real, 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 real bad. I, 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 they are, but you still have to go out there and execute. And there are plenty of quarterbacks that we see time and time again, that aren't executing. So I love 
that that's how Bill Belichick was able to get his win that ties George Hallis, even though comes at the expense of my hometown Cleveland Browns. It's pretty poetic because, yeah, you know, I mean, that's where Bill Belichick started his head coaching career. And my mother loves to say that if the Browns had not moved and Art Modell had not been the kind of guy that he was, then the Browns would be one of the greatest franchises of all time and they would have those Super Bowl trophies. So I guess we'll never know. Let's go to the Miami Dolphins who play Pittsburgh on Sunday night in a game that suddenly becomes Desperadoville for Miami. (laughs) First three games of the season, two are going wild. They average 28 points a game. Last three games of the season, they're averaging 18 points a game. And they've obviously really been struggling, but I'm a little bit on the optimistic slash naive side because I think now with Tua coming back rested seemingly in good shape after his concussion experience I think they're going to really play well Sunday night against the Steelers having your starting quarterback makes a huge 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 difference and you know with all due respect to Teddy Bridgewater and Skylar Thompson those two guys just aren't starting caliber quarterbacks at this point in either of their careers and one is on an upward trajectory perhaps and the other just is where he is um, after so many years in the league so I'm interested to see how healthy the Steelers secondary is going to be because they weren't healthy and they still beat the Bucks last week but whenever you're missing Minka Fitzpatrick along with TJ Watt who's on IR that's that's a huge 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 thing and they're also missing a bunch of corners so we'll see how all that turns out but Tua Tungavailoa is primed to get the Miami Dolphins back on track. So, Miles, everybody I think who covers the NFL who really has gotten to know a little bit, and I knew Steve Wilkes a little bit, I didn't know him well, felt terrible that he only got one year, uh, I think 2018, in uh, Arizona, and then he got whacked at the end of the year. And so what happens to him his first game as the interim coach? He's got to kick a player off the sidelines for acting up. And then the next day, he's got to send him packing a pretty good player. But you get the feeling that this is not his first problem inside the team. Okay. I just, I just feel bad for Steve Wilkes. I mean, this is not a number one story or anything like that. I feel bad for Steve Wilkes because he's a football lifer. He got a very short shot in one place and now his team is awful and I just hope that he at least gets a few boosted paychecks out of this because after this year in Carolina he's never going to get a shot it doesn't seem like it and you know life isn't fair and I know all that but this really is not fair I mean and think about this Peter he was saddled with uh um Josh Rosen right 10th overall pick of the 2018 draft and now He's got the number one and number three overall picks of that same draft. And all of them are crap at quarterback. Oh my goodness. How crazy is that? How crazy is it? Isn't it? I mean, my goodness, just what rotten, rotten luck. But, you know, I don't think anybody, I don't think Steve Wilkes would say, oh, feel bad for me. So he's going to do his best. And, you know, I I wish him well, but man, it's not a great situation. The Los Angeles Rams, three and three. It's a team you know well. And as I watch the Rams right now, I find it 
hard to believe I would ever be asking this question, but I'm going to ask you this question. Tell me, I want you to make your prediction. They're 500 now. They got 11 games to go, which means they'd have to go six and five to finish over 500. Oh, Will the Los Angeles Rams finish over 500? I'm going to say yes, just because I believe in Sean McVay, but I think they'll only be nine and eight or 10 and seven. I mean, they look like a traditional eight and eight, nine and seven, seven and nine kind of team, right? right. That's just, they just, they have talent. Their defense is still really good, but it's so, they're so flawed. And now they've lost another offensive lineman, Joe Noteboom, their left tackle. He's done with an Achilles injury. I mean, they're going out there right now with Rob Havenstein, the right tackle, veteran right tackle, good right tackle, as their only starter on the offensive line. It's very hard to deal with the fact that you've got different guys in different spots and everybody's moving around and you've got second, third, maybe sometimes even fourth stringers that are playing. It's, it's hard to do anything like that. And I really don't think that they've gotten enough out of the skill positions. Allen Robinson did have a better game against the Carolina Panthers who we were just saying, wow, that's not really a great situation. So they needed the buy probably more than anybody. We'll see if they can make any kind of adjustments, but you know, Orlando Pace ain't walking through that door, right? <laughs> you know, Andrew Whitworth ain't walking through that door either. So Andrew Whitworth, they do. I wonder what happens. I really wondered what happens. <laughs> hey, yeah, Amazon is a cushy job. Who's a really good friend of Andrew Whitworth. I wonder yeah. what would happen if McVeigh said, all right, Andrew, <laughs> two months, two months. We'll give you $5 million <laughs> for two months. And, and, and we'll let you out on Thursday nights to go do your Amazon. It's a lot Wouldn't of Wouldn't that be a little bit tempting? It's a lot of flying. Yeah. I don't know. It's tough. Yeah, go I try to stop that's Von silly, Miller. That's a, that's a silly thing. All right. <laughs> we're going to end this podcast with two questions. Number one, why is the football world forgetting the Vikings? All right. I'm going to give you my answer, and then I want to hear yours. Okay. I think the football world's forgetting the Vikings because of the 14 teams that would qualify for the playoffs if the season were over today. There's only one of those 14 teams that has a worse strength of victory than the Minnesota Vikings. In other words, they've played a soft schedule, okay? And they played a soft schedule, and they almost lost to the Bears, Without a late fumble, they might have lost to the Bears. They played a very competitive game against the Lions. I, look, I'm not demeaning the Vikings. I just want to see more. Your thoughts? Uh, I had two reasons. One, they give me a 2021 Arizona Cardinals vibe where, yeah, they're winning a lot of games. Interesting. But I don't know how sustainable it is. And two, Kirk Cousins. Yeah. He's just been okay. All right. I want you to tell me, I'm going to answer this question first. Okay. Who's the least appreciated player in football? I'll answer it first. My answer is Buffalo linebacker, Matt Milano. Every time I watch the Buffalo Bills play, he makes four plays that I thought the exact same thing about Teddy Bruschi. Every time I watched the Patriots play when Brewski was in his prime, he'd make three or four plays to help them win. Matt Milano was gigantic at the Chiefs on Sunday. He's gigantic every game they play. I, and look, 
we don't get to go into locker rooms until this year. But right. after the game, I made a beeline to his locker. I shook his hand and I said, look, you don't know me. I think he, I've talked to him a few times. I said, you don't really know me, but I just want to tell you, you played a hell of a football game today. I'm a, I got a little man crush on Matt Milano. Who's here? I love it. I love it. Well, you know what this, because maybe because of what we were just talking about, this guy came into my mind, Robert Woods. A receiver yeah. for the Tennessee Titans. Excellent. Excellent. He is he he was so 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 good and so important for that Rams offense. I mean, especially in the Jared Goff era when Sean McVay got there. But you look at what he does, not just as a receiver in precise, crisp routes every single time he is always open or he knows how to uncover, but also what he does in the run game. And I think, especially when you're talking about the Tennessee Titans, you know how important that run game is going to be. Look for Robert Woods to be a key member of that Tennessee Titans team going forward the rest of the season. Miles Simmons, not Miles Sanders. I appreciate you. I said we were going to get the clock under control, and I couldn't help it. The clock stayed out of control. Next week, I vow, I vow the clock will be under control. Miles Simmons, thanks a million. Thanks, everyone, for experiencing another episode of the Peter King Podcast. I have no idea what we're going to do next week, but I promise you, it's going to be good. Have a great week, everyone. <laughs>